Well, open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this morning. <clears throat> We're working through chapter 3 through 5, a specific section in the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon outlines ten areas of life that can leave us with a large helping of Genesis chapter 3. As you live life under the sun, the Bible says that the curse is still operative. In fact, that's what that phrase means, life under the sun, life under a under a curse, life in a cursed world. And, and if there was ever a category that falls into something that increases our frustration, it's the one that Solomon addresses today, isn't it? If you struggled to connect with the wisdom of, uh, that Solomon provided for loneliness or popularity, you're not going to struggle with feeling the burn in today's topic. I have many, many more if you, if you want to wait for them. If you listen to the wisdom of Solomon today, it's going to help you with, with a ma- the malady of politics. Does your blood pressure mysteriously go up every four years somewhere around November? <laughs> Do you break out in hives whenever you see political signs starting to crop up everywhere? Does your cynicism meter peg whenever an ad for the most honest congressman ever to head to Washington comes on TV? Mine does. Well, Solomon is going to give us wisdom related to the frustration that bad politics and governmental corruption brings. And I have good news for you this morning and bad news. I'll give you the bad news first. The bad news, Solomon says, is in a Genesis 3 world, you're never going to be rid of corrupt politics or politicians. You can drain the swamp and shoot all the alligators, but the sin nature of man just produces more alligators and they like the, they like the swamp. And for a lot of the reasons that Solomon gives us, shows us today. The good news though, is you can respond wisely, and that can reduce some of the frustration caused by crooked candidates. Solomon has been granting us wisdom in the areas of God's sovereignty, human injustice, death, oppression and abuse, misuse of work, loneliness and popularity, our relationship with God, which is what we covered last week, and today, corrupt government. His wisdom helps us with the headache that that, that brings. First Thessalonians chapter five verse seven gives us a, a an analogy that sadly, to my shame, I am I, I can relate to. First Thessalonians five seven says the curse is so bad that unbelievers are like an, an intoxicated person groping around in the dark of night. If you ever tried to get around in the in the, in the blackness, it's, it's hard where there's no moon, but do that being inebriated. That's the picture that the Bible gives of someone who's, who's drunk. And while unbelievers are still drunk, even now in the fall, believers have, have, have sobered up. And we can drink the coffee of God's wisdom that, that's provided in the, in the Bible. And Solomon reminds us, while we're no longer intoxicated in our sin nature, there is a hangover from the fall, and, and you feel the effects of that, and, and so do I. And Solomon says, by applying God's wisdom, it, it can remove some of those aches and pains that remain 
And his remedy for us today is take two verses of Ecclesiastes and call me next Sunday. There's only two verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 on, on politics. But if you don't follow God's counsel, or worse, you, you turn back to the world's brew, you're only going to increase your frustration level. And you're going to live a very difficult life. You see, Ecclesiastes is a book that was written to help you understand. It's not some dark, depressing book. It's a wisdom book. You already feel the futility of life and its, its frustrations. You feel it every day. You feel it every week. You feel it every month. You, you feel the frustration and futility of working and never getting things done. Of, you feel that death is, is wrong every time you go to a funeral. You feel that tragedy sometimes is unfair. You, you wonder why God allows all of the things that He does. You, you get frustrated with crooked politicians. And you, you say, when is God going, to, God going to fix all of this? And sadly, sometimes we, we even place blame where it shouldn't be. We blame God. We wonder... See, when you, when you bring an innate desire for lasting fulfillment in contact with a world that can never bring it, the result is futility and frustration, or as Solomon puts it, vanity. It's like trying to, to catch, the, catch the wind, and, and that's why you feel the way that, that you do. And when you feel that, you can respond in, in two ways. You can go on a search like Solomon took us on in chapter 1 and 2, and, and spend your whole life looking for something in, in, in the place that you'll never find it. You, you can try to mask your frustration and the emptiness with relationships or education or career or money or cynicism or pleasure or whatever it is. You can go that route and end exactly where you started or worse. Or... You can look through the lens that God has provided in the Bible and see the world rightly. So you can then apply God's wisdom and find joy in the things that He's provided. That's the goal of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written to help you see the curse rightly, to even categorize its effects properly, so you can gain wisdom to reduce some of its effects. There are things that are crooked that will never be made straight, and politicians fall in that category. But thankfully, one day, God's going to remove the curse. And everything will be straight at that point, even you, even your own heart. Solomon's been helping us with this in chapter 5 in three arenas. Verses 1 through 7 is the, the frustrations that come from, from religion, your relationship with God. Today, in verses 8 and 9, he's going to talk about the frustration of politics. And then in verses 10 through 20, the rest of the book, frustration that comes from mishandling money. As we said, religions, religion, politics, and, and money. Now, we read Romans 13 this morning because there's only two verses. And just about the time that Nate would get up here and say, open your Bible, he would be done. But Romans 13, as Stephen mentioned, is the New Testament counterpart to exactly what Solomon addresses here. And I'll show you that before you leave today. While we all know Romans 13, Solomon brings us face to face with another reality. While God has established governmental authorities and we're supposed to submit to them, Solomon says because of the fall, those ruling or participating can be crooked. 
And then you have the question, what do I do then? Do I submit or do I not? How much do I submit? Who do I submit to? In what circumstances do I submit? Solomon shows us even further, not only can they, they, they be crooked, they can actually do the exact opposite of what God intends and commands. Do you think that God intends any government to sanction the murder of innocent babies? You better believe He doesn't. And yet, that's exactly what you have, not only in America, but all over the world. Solomon will tell us what to do when those in authority don't operate the way that God created them. Government is God's gracious dispensation to help us live in a cursed world. But Solomon says because of that same curse, it can also deliver the opposite. And you don't have to look very far in the Bible to, to, see, this, to see this operating. What is the very first sin the very first scene, I should say, after the sin of the fall. Everything that Solomon ties back to Genesis 3. Genesis 4, Cain kills Abel and God exiles him. And he fears retaliation to others and God places Cain under divine protection. You remember Genesis 4.15. Whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. There's a proper function of government. Protection from going too far in in punishment, guarding against mob rule. And yet in Genesis 6, Genesis 4, divine protection in Genesis 6, God Himself destroys all living creatures on the earth because their hearts were continually evil, even those in authority were disobeying God. Genesis 6, 11, verse 12, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth, from the least to the great. Probably the most obvious, I would think, would be the Tower of Babel, right? In Genesis 11 where mankind actually uses government to directly disobey a command of God to, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And they say, we don't want to obey God. We're all going to be right here in this city and we're going to be able to tower that's going to reach even, even into the heavens. A direct disobedience using government to directly disobey God. Genesis 11.4 Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into, into heaven and let us make a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the, of the whole earth. That's just in the first 11 chapters of the Bible. And it doesn't get any better the farther that you go, does it? You have Abraham's treachery more than once. You have Isaac, Jacob, and then his sons with Joseph. You have Moses' abuse of power where he strikes the rock. You have almost the entire book of Judges. You could use that as exhibit A, B, C, D, E, F, G... You have Samuel's sons. You have Israel requesting a king after that. The king that Israel gets is Saul. David's exploitation of Bathsheba and Uriah. His census, even after he repents, to boast about his own greatness that brings judgment actually on the people of Israel. Most of the kings that followed Solomon, you could, you could use as an example. I could go on. The prophets in Jeremiah, the priests in Malachi, the scribes and the Pharisees in the New Testament, the Republicans and the Democrats. You see, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? 
exactly what Solomon says. Solomon says, while God established rulers, the fall has affected even this system of authority, his system of authority. And what happens when even what God created for good turns bad? That's pretty frustrating, isn't it? What do we do then? Well, Solomon is going to give us some wisdom in how to deal with that. And as I said, there are only, there are only two verses, but you should not think that that's somehow an indication of how low on the frustration meter this, this, this registers. This is, this is not a new topic. If you doubt that this is a major stressor in life, Solomon deals with this topic three times out of the ten that he's covering in chapter 3 through 5. In verses 3, 16, and 17, he deals with the injustice that, that can come through the courts. In chapter 4, 1 through 3, he deals with oppressive authority. And here, in chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, he addresses political corruption. Let's read verse 8 and 9, and we'll see the wisdom of Solomon. Verse 8. He says, If you see oppression of the poor and a denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight of... For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. Two verses, and Solomon makes three observations for us about bad politics. Three observations about bad politics. He notes the the site of political corruption. Second, he notices the the source of political corruption. And finally, the solution to political corruption. The site, the source, and the solution. He starts in his normal way by observing something. Ecclesiastes is a book of observations. But I want you to notice there's something different about this one. Here's the site of political corruption. Look again, if you would, at verse 8. Solomon says, If you see oppression of the poor and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. Now notice, Solomon starts a little different than with his other observations. Can you see what it is? Solomon normally says, I observed, I saw, I This sight came to me. Here, he says, if you deserve, or or better, when you observe. (laughs) The topic of political corruption is so grievous, so frustrating, Solomon doesn't take the long way around the barn to call us to, to wisdom. He normally says, I observed, and he leaves you to imagine it through his own eyes. Well, Solomon doesn't have to let you imagine it through his eyes, he knows you have seen political corruption and bad politics in your life. He knows that you're going to live through a, pres- a presidential election and, and, and another and another, and, and he also knows you already have. Solomon says you are going to observe three things as it relates to government and politics no matter where you live and when you live. He says you are going to observe the denial of justice, the omission of righteousness, and the abuse of authority. 
you see all of those, don't you? You've seen all of those in your life. Solomon knows it's frustrating to watch the congressional clown parade with the biggest perpetrators of injustice being the loudest mouths calling for justice. That's frustrating, isn't it? Solomon knows it's exasperating to watch the hypocrisy of a Senate hearing with bankrupt people calling for the truth to be told using unsubstantiated accusations as fact. And you can trust them because they're the government, all, by the way, right? He realizes when politicians escape justice, when they're morally bankrupt, when they're above the law, it's infuriating. And all three of those will bring oppression to everyone. But Solomon says, especially the poor. Notice what he says here. If you see oppression of the poor, he singles out the poor. Are the poor the only ones that are affected by bad politics? Of course not. We're all affected by bad government, bad politics. But the poor are especially affected. These things affect every citizen. But the idea of verse 8 is the least among us will get the worst end of the stick. And you see that all the time, don't you? A person who can't afford a good lawyer has a better chance at fighting for justice than someone who, who can't even afford a, a nice suit to go to court in. You see people puffing all the time about saving this or, or saving that, and, and they're, they're a bunch of millionaire 30 yuppies who, who have never done a hard day's work in their life. And their policies are actually going to hurt the least of these. Just ask Africa whenever malaria was, was eradicated at one point, and then they came in and they stopped doing some of the treatments. The policies of the politicians support their donor base, and those who can't do anything about it are out of luck. That's what Solomon's saying. He emphasizes the travesty of this molestation of justice by the word that he uses for, for denial. Look at verse 8 again. If you see the oppression of the poor in denial of justice. Oppression is a strong word. And the word denial goes right along with it. It's a denial of justice and righteousness. Denial in Hebrew, this word, is, it would be used for a violent robbery. It means tearing away violently. It's to rip something out of your hands. What's ripped out of the hands of the poor is justice and righteousness. Solomon says the less fortunate and the less powerful in society are not just denied justice, it's ripped away from them. They come to the very place that God says to come for justice, and instead of getting it, even the hope in their empty hands is snatched away by the system. And that happens by delay, by red tape, by dismissal, by corruption, and you can go on and on and on. And I want you to recognize Solomon notes two things in this passage, that the government is supposed to provide, that, that's not being provided here to the poor. He notes justice and righteousness, doesn't he? Solomon says that what the government is supposed to do is to retard evil and reward good, justice and righteousness. And it's no mistake that, that what he lists 
are these two things that, that are also highlighted in Romans 13. The Apostle Paul instructs Christians to be in subjection to civil authorities, and he tells us that God's established good government for two reasons. You can think of Romans 13 like a commentary on government, just like Ecclesiastes is a commentary on the fall, just like 1 Corinthians 7 is a commentary on marriage, divorce, and singleness. In Romans 13, Paul says God created the government as his own minister with two roles, to punish evil and promote righteousness, justice and righteousness. It's the two primary purposes for government. In fact, God established authorities to help manage the fall. It's his grace to, to all people. Romans 13. Why do you have a bad taste in your mouth by government? It shouldn't be because government in and of itself, because God created it as his own minister. You have a bad taste because of what Solomon's talking about here, don't you? Romans 13. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. God created government. This is simply what that means. And what are these authorities supposed to do? Verse 4, it's a minister of God. It's a servant of God to you for good. That's a purpose. It's, it's to be for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing or in vain, for it's a minister of God, a servant of God. Okay? It's a minister of God for good, and it's a minister of God to avenge wrath on those who practice evil. Righteousness and justice. Those are the two primary functions of government. And there's a system of authority to make sure that those things are promoted. The systems of human authority are to encourage good and punish evil. I mean, we said that even Romans 13, God's blessing is that comes from the fall. I mean, there's no reason, there's no need to bear a sword if there's no sin in man's heart to begin with. God even, even created an aspect of the government in order to help us with the fall. I mean, Cain doesn't need protection if there was no murder to begin with. And Romans 13 is the New Testament counterpart to Solomon's statement here. He clearly tells us the purpose that God has for, for government. It protects people from evil, from harm, foreign or domestic, and it promotes good. And you might differ with varying methods of what will promote good, this will, no, 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 that will, but the goal is the promotion of good. That's what God says. And while certain forms of government do that better and others do that worse, if you summarize what Paul says, God created government, we obey authority because it represents God Himself, and justice and righteousness are at the center of God's purpose for, for government. Whatever form it takes, democracy, republic, a monarchy, if it doesn't promote righteousness and provide justice, it's not doing what God created it to do. That's the summary of Romans 13. Have you ever wondered why we get so incensed over political corruption? And we do, and you should. It's because of the character of God. They're ministers of God. They're servants of God. They stand in the place of God in this realm of our, of our life. Governmental officials are supposed to be acting in the place of God in a certain sense. They're His representatives, His ministers. And there's nothing worse than a 
corrupt deity or a corrupt individual representing an incorrupt deity. It's like we know better. It's instinctual. It's like this person is supposed to be acting one way as a minister of God on God's behalf, and they're acting the opposite, and that's wrong, and we feel that. That's right to feel that. You have the same feeling when you encounter other types of ministers of God. Pedophile priests or corrupt religious figures. Doesn't your blood boil when you turn on the TV and you see Benny Hinn? Mine does. It should. They're supposed to be God's representatives and they're acting like Satan's representatives. Well, that works in the governmental realm just like it does in the, in the church. Governmental leaders are supposed to recover the character of God through their operation of the duties. The character of God has been lost because of the fall and one of the forms of government is to recover that, to promote righteousness and then to suppress evil. That's their main role. But they don't all the time, do they? And so it's no mistake that Solomon calls us to wisdom when we observe those very things not happening. He says in verse 8, the oppression of the poor through a denial of justice and righteousness. The, the tearing away of justice and the, and the snatching away of a righteousness. Not avenging evil, not promoting righteousness. And when that happens, there is an abuse of of authority. That's the third one on your list. Solomon says, because of the fall and the sinfulness of man, those principles are trashed on a regular basis. And it's an abuse of God's system. Evildoers are not punished, and good and righteous things are not promoted. In fact, the opposite takes place. Good people are punished, and evildoers are promoted. And he says that will happen in a cursed world. And then he also lets us peek behind the curtain a little bit as to the source, why that happens. He gives us the cause. Look at verse 8b. After he says, you observe this, what are you observing? Look at the end of verse 8. For one official watches over another official, and there's a higher official watching over him, or, or over him. Higher officials, plural, notice, over him. Solomon now gives the reason that there's corruption in the system that God created. Government is not bad. There are bad people in government. He says it's sinners in the place of, of power. Solomon describes a never-ending cycle of bureaucracy here and that only increases corruption because of the people that, that, are, that are part of it. You notice the circular pattern here. One watches over another, who watches over another, who watches over another, and the last is plural. So that one watches over this one and that one watches over that one. It's circular. It's also a hierarchy. There are lower officials who are watched over by higher officials. The little fish is eaten by the bigger fish, who's eaten by the even bigger fish, and so on, and so on. Well, one day, Jesus says, there's going to be a dragnet that's going to be drugged through the sea, and all of the little fish and all the big fish are going to be drugged on the bank, and the righteous and the wicked are going to be separated. But until that time, we have to swim with some pretty ugly fishes, don't we? The phrase that 
is used here to watch one another. Can have a positive or negative idea in, in Hebrew, but in both cases they're bad. It's bad either way. And Solomon uses it to, to point out what's, what's, what's behind the scenes, what's in the heart. Not the system, but those who operate the system. If this Hebrew word is positive, to, they watch over, official watches over another. If it's positive, it means that they watch out for each other, like, like cronyism. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's like the judge who watches out for the prosecutor because they're, they're both on the same side. If this word is positive, it's like the, the Democrat-controlled ethics committee investigating one of their own and declares them innocent on our charges. And then even gives them a condemnation in the congressional record to make sure that, that, that nothing bad is ever written about them in posterity. And sometimes you don't even have to be on the same team. The Democrats watch out for the Republicans, the Republicans watch out for the Democrats, right? Because they watch out for each other, they're politicians. And in those case, because in that case, those outside of the circle are out of luck. This is cronyism, if it's positive. If it's negative, it, it has the idea of surveillance. That's what Phil Riken said. It's, it's like they're under the watchful eye. Solomon says the layers of bureaucracy are created to keep everyone in line, and that ends up hurting the very people that they're supposed to serve. These layers of surveillance and bureaucracy are there because everybody is suspect of everybody else. And that ends up hurting the very people the system is supposed to, to work for. Have you not felt that frustration every time you go to the drugstore to buy cold medicine and you have to give your driver's license, your blood type, and your shoe size because somebody wants to take it and cook meth with it? When all you want is some Sudafed for your, for your stuffed-up nose? Is it not frustrating? That's bureaucracy. One watching over another to watch over another to try to keep something from happening. What about whenever you go through security at the airport? The rules change from month to month as, as layers are added in reaction to a to new threat. And you would gladly submit to either one of those if it really helped catch the bad guys. But you know, many of the rules were made by career politicians in Washington whose donors include the company that made the x-ray machine and the ID scanner. And that's what's frustrating, isn't it? That's what Solomon's talking about here. Those kinds of layers end up denying justice for the person who needs it. Michael Eaton said, Solomon considers the frustrations of oppressive bureaucracy with its endless delays and excuses while the poor can't afford to wait. And if you think it's bad here, you go to a third world country and then you'll figure out what real oppressive bureaucracy actually feels like or or look like looks like and you know what people do they just give up or they fall into the system if they're able to and they pay somebody off or they find somebody who's watching over somebody else and that person who's watching hopes they can find dirt so then they can root them out of office so someone else can root themselves right back in. Can a person living paycheck to paycheck, note it, remember Solomon talks about the poor primarily here, can a person living paycheck to paycheck actually afford an 11-month wait for a bureaucrat to call out Wells Fargo from foreclosing on their house? It's a true story. All the while, I have a family member where that happened. 
payments were made. Wells Fargo said that they didn't know that the payments came in. And the family member followed all of the right process. All the while, the bank saying, if you do not pay, then you're going to be foreclosed and you're going to turn you over to a debt collector. And after four or five months, then the debt collectors came calling and foreclosure happens while they have copies of the checks that showed that they paid the bill. And then the bureaucracy that keeps justice from actually happening. Those are real-life situations that Solomon's talking about here. And Solomon says accountability does not stop corruption. It can actually increase it. There are at least four layers of official accountability that he describes here. One official watches over another official, and there are higher officials, plural, so there's at least four, who watch over them. Just as a side note, Human beings can get around any barrier with a desire to do so. Boundaries are good. Get me wrong. But not for someone who intends on jumping them. You have to have a desire to go along with that barrier or boundary. Or you'll figure out how to get around whatever hoop that fence that you put up. And Solomon says that in some cases, it actually breeds more injustice. Trimper Longman says the circle of watching over each other means that everyone is preoccupied with watching each other so when no one is watching out for justice. Man is sinful, and that's why there is bad politics. And Solomon says that's the real issue. My friend Joel James says you can change the size or the shape of the container of sour milk, but it's still sour milk. You can change the form of government, and clearly there are some that promote biblical principles better than others. You can change the forms of government, but men are still sinners, and there's nothing external that will, that will change that. Don't even think having the Bible at the center of everything will somehow produce godliness and rid politics of corruption. You, you don't have to look to Israel to know the answer to that. Now, clearly it's better than the alternative to having no Bible or no witness of, of God at all. But sin still remains. And you say, wow, I mean, that, that sounds so hopeless. Where's the wisdom <laughs> that Solomon provides? What do I do? I'm just a simple believer. I'm not, I'm not even big enough to be in the pond, much less have some control over anything like this. Well, that's where Solomon ends for us. He gives us the solution to political corruption. Solomon says, bad politics come from sinful men, bad leaders, bureaucracy. So how do you deal with that? What's wise? What's a solution that will reduce your frustration while dealing with the fall? Well, Solomon gives three in, in Ecclesiastes. There's a perspective solution. There's a provisional solution, temporary one. And then there's a permanent solution. And he's already given the, the first piece of wisdom back at verse 8. Look, if you would, back at verse 8. Did you miss it? Here's Solomon's first piece of wisdom. 
If you see oppression of the poor and the denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. That's his first nugget of wisdom. He says, if you see, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised that corruption exists because it's a cursed world. That's the first piece of wisdom that Solomon gives. That right there will reduce a ton of frustration. Don't let it bring you to sin. Don't fret. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't turn into them. Don't think somehow you're going to eradicate the world of oppressions and corruption or fix politics. You won't. Whether that's the moral majority, the angry majority, the social justice movement, or whatever comes next. If you think you can, you're going to end up grumpy, frustrated, and joyless. You're going to be like a relative of mine who won't even watch Fox News now. He's got something like AOE or AON or something else because Fox is too liberal. All of those things will ultimately fail because you can't stem the tide of sinners and another one will just be there to take its place. Now, before you accuse Solomon of fatalism, think about what he's saying. Think about what he's saying in context. This is a wisdom book to provide wisdom for frustration. And you're naive, if you're naive and you don't understand the real issue is in the heart, you can think you can change the world apart from Jesus Christ. And in the end, you're either going to give up or you're going to take matters in your own hands. If you think that you can change the world apart from Jesus Christ, you only have two options when you think that way. Hopelessness or wrath. Which in the end, if you try wrath, will bring you back to hopelessness. You'll try and fail, and you'll end up cynical or fatalistic yourself. That's one of the reasons that thousands of Christians are on the trash heap of apathy whenever it comes to politics. They didn't keep the fall in perspective, and when the political movement failed, they gave up and said, what's the use? And that's what you see all over the world. Hopelessness, because there is no Justice and human vengeance, because there is no hope of justice. But Solomon offers more than just a perspective. Look, if you would, at verse 9. After all, a king who cultivates the field is an advantage to the land. After the perspective, he gives you a provisional solution. Solomon says, once you understand that you live in a crooked world and you're never going to straighten it, there is a temporary solution and there is a permanent one. A provisional strategy and a permanent strategy that you must employ. If you get the two of these mixed up, you're going to be frustrated again. If you don't think that there is going to be corruption in the world, you're going to be frustrated. And if you think that the permanent replaces the temporary or vice versa, you're going to be frustrated as well. You have to pursue them both. The provisional solution is to promote good politics. Solomon says there is a curse, and that's the source. But in verse 9, he says there is the blessing if it's practiced right. There's a whole lot of debate about what this verse means because of the key phrase in, in Hebrew can has some different options, but let me summarize them for you. Verse 9 is either negative or positive. 
it's either a negative statement that, that follows this circle of corruption. Verse 8, one watches over this one and watches over this one. Now the king gets involved in the process. It's saying like even the king takes advantage of what the land produces. Now the corruption reaches even the highest level in the land. That, that would be the negative approach. The idea is a dictator is, is the one enriched by his people's labor. And that surely happens in this world, doesn't it? If you think that Solomon is depressed or he wrote this book in unbelief, then that's probably the interpretation that you'll, that you'll choose. But I've already shown you that that's not the case over and over. This is a wisdom book. So the other option, which I think is correct, this is a positive statement. And that's the way that, that, you, should, that you should take it. Solomon is saying a king who cultivates the field and promotes prosperity or promotes prosperity is an advantage to have. I think that's what he's saying. While the source of bad politics is the sinners that govern the system, capable men who govern are a blessing. I think that's what verse 9, nine means. Solomon's giving wisdom to lessen the curse. The curse won't be eradicated till Revelation 21, but for now, here's the wisdom. Just like corrupt politicians are blasphemy, wise rulers are a blessing. I think that's what Solomon's saying in verse 9. That's why you're foolish if you disregard politics altogether and get fatalistic and don't vote and don't try something, don't try to do something. Solomon says to a certain degree, you'll, you'll get what you vote for, and he's just described what you'll get. One official watching over another official watching over another official. Solomon says don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't sit on your hands and say it's no use. This whole place is going to perish anyway. Don't think the unbelievers are too many, so I'm just going to focus on the church. That's going to bring a lot of frustration. Because if you try, if you don't try to enact just laws, then the only people that will vote are the godless and the wicked. And listen to me, politics is not their realm. Did you hear what I just said? Romans 13 says politics is not the realm of unbelievers. It's God's. And it seems like Christians forget that for some reason. Politics are the activities associated with the governance on the earth of a, of a, of a country or area. It's the process of decisions that, that apply to a group of, of people. And, and the last I checked, you were part of those people, right? God created the authorities that He wants them used for, for His glory. He created government. He wants it used for His glory. Just like He wants marriage to be used for His glory. You, you don't stop marrying because unbelievers abuse it, do you? you? You don't stop having families because they're broken, do you? Some Christians seem to buy into the fallacy that there's this secular and sacred, and they say, well, that's the world and this is the church, so I'm not going to worry about government. Ask the German Christians how that worked out for them. Better yet, ask the Jews how that worked out for them when the German Christians didn't do that. That would bring even more devastation if you fall for that lie. But don't be shocked by the corruption. And don't think the ultimate answer is found in government because that will bring you frustration as well. Solomon says the temporary solution is to promote good government. And we have an opportunity to do that like 
no other people on the planet right now, do we? And Solomon says you should employ that temporary solution because government is God's and you should employ yourself in it. But the permanent solution is the Lord Jesus Christ's reign. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. We read it before, but here's the permanent solution. Solomon says the temporary solution is a good king, good government that promotes prosperity. The permanent solution is found in verses 13 and 14. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to every person, believers and unbelievers, good politicians, bad politicians, lazy Christians that don't vote and the ones that are very active. You will give an account, verse 14, for God will bring every act into judgment, even everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And now we're back to the same theme that we had in Romans and Ecclesiastes, right? The promotion of good and the punishment of evil. Justice and righteousness. And when's this going to happen? When Jesus is going to reign? The permanent solution to bad politics is the gospel of Jesus Christ and His coming kingdom. And while law or government can't change a single heart, Jesus Christ can. His gospel is the ultimate fix. He is the answer. Because when He changes you, He writes His law on your heart, not somewhere else. His system of authorities is good. But only Christ can make new hearts so that men and women can function in that system in the way that God intends and the work of the gospel can do that and i want you to think about this the work that the gospel can do is only a foretaste of what is coming which is where solomon ends the book there is a coming kingdom of righteousness where only virtue reigns that king will not only cultivate the land so that it produces every blessing that king will will make a new land for us one day. Isaiah tells about this ruler. You're going to hear a lot about it next month, aren't you? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. In his kingdom there there will not be any need of bureaucracy or officials to watch over each other because in that kingdom no injustice will be permitted. The very next verse, Isaiah tells us that, there will be no end to the increase of his government or peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. Notice two words again. And from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. But until that kingdom comes, Solomon says, don't be shocked by political corruption, and don't shirk your duties to raise up wise and godly kings or in our, in our system, political leaders. Do preach the gospel 
even to the corrupt ones, because that's the only thing that can and will change the heart. God's solution is better than a revolution or resignation. He says, love justice, meaning strive for righteousness. He says, remember he ordained, Romans 13, to help deal with injustice until he judges permanently. But he says, don't try to straighten everything that's crooked because you can't. And don't get so blinded by the corruption that you neglect the other parts of of the law like seeking good government. Political corruption is frustrating. It's part of the curse. It will never be eradicated. You're frustrated because these are God's representatives and they're not acting like it. And your response is to promote righteous leaders, understand unbelievers and their worldviews are not equals, they're rebels. Don't neglect this realm, but don't hope in this realm. Let you bow your heads.